team. It is the season of Easter, if you knew that. I mean, it's deceptive because on Friday we were thinking it was spring, and then uh, yesterday happens, and it's like, no, it's still winter, you know, and, and we'll get a few more of those before true spring shows up. But it is the season of Easter on Wednesday. It was Ash Wednesday. If you were a part of the liturgical calendar, you know that. And it's beginning that time when we focus our hearts and minds on Jesus in anticipation of the celebration of Easter, which is the high point of our calendar as, as Christians, as followers of, of Jesus Christ. And so every Easter, as, as we enter the season of Lent, I like to do a, a series that focuses on Jesus. Some aspect of the cross, of the Gospels, and, and this particular season, I, I, I'm going to focus from John's Gospel. Before we get there, understand, everyone has an idea of who Jesus is in their head, in their heart, in their mind. You were taught something, you heard something, you watched yeah, you know, something on A&E, about Jesus or biography channel or you've read a book, you know, and you've, you've seen something and, and you have an idea about Jesus. And it came from something, from somewhere. I, I have this little Bible here and this isn't the actual one I had as a kid, but it's similar to it. This is actually one that my mom gave my dad when he first came to faith in 1972. But in this old King James Bible, notice the cover's worn off. I don't, you know, I, I keep it just because it was, you know, it was sort of a, a starting point in my dad's journey of faith. He had never really understood the gospel because no one had ever shown him the word of God before. And so he came to know Jesus Christ, and he got this Bible from my mom. And in this Bible, you can't really see it, but there's a picture of Jesus here. So as a kid, I got my ideas of Jesus from the little pictures in my Bible. Jesus is very gentle looking. He's white. <laughs> and he's a hippie. He has long hair, right? Did you notice that? You know, Jesus is a hippie. I mean, if, growing up in my house, if a man had long hair, he was a hippie. Now, now, I understand that was just my dad's kind of redneck uh, perspective on life. He was, you know, in Prince George. The guys used to line the highway, you know, lying out there, stoned out. And so he had this idea about, about hippies. You know, they, you know, hippies were lazy. They didn't work. They didn't, you know, and, and that, I'm just telling you, it was a bigoted thing. I'm just telling you. But when I see a picture of Jesus with long hair, I'm like, how does that work? I thought Jesus was a good guy, and he's a hippie. You know, like, what's happening with Jesus here? You know, and I was just confused in the moment. And then, you know, you see the Jesus film, and oh, yeah, Jesus does have long hair, right? And, and, and he, he is white. He has blue eyes. No, he doesn't. You know, he was the, from the ancient Near East. I mean, from, he was from the Middle East. He was Jewish, most likely dark-skinned, dark-eyed, um, had those Semitic features. That's, that was his genealogy from the earthly side. But, but you understand, we all have ideas about who Jesus is. And it may be informed from your Christian school upbringing, your Catholic school upbringing. It might be some A&E biography you read. It might be the Reader's Digest book of Jesus that sat under your coffee, you know, under your, under your, you know, your living room, you know, coffee table, and you read through that. And you, you, you have ideas about Jesus, but I want us to look and to hear from a first century eyewitness and companion of Jesus, the Apostle John. And, and he actually answers this question us who is Jesus. John was part of the 12 disciples, but not only that, he was part of the inner three, the executive team of the disciples. See what, you know, Peter, James, and John kind of had closer access to Jesus than the other nine did. And so he was as close to Jesus as anyone on this earth ever was. And he writes down his own record of the history of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a selective account of Jesus' teaching and his miracles and what happened to him with a purpose and we call it the Gospel of John. If you've ever read the Bible, you maybe you've encountered the Gospel of John. 
back in the day, they used to say, you know, if, if you're new to the faith, just read the Gospel of John. And, and, and there's some great stuff in there, but if you really read it, you realize there's a lot of heavy, heavy slugging in, in the Gospel of John. But John is just trying to give you a comparative sampling about Jesus so that you get to the point where you yourself take a step of faith and believe in Jesus Christ. The other Gospels, there's three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Well, they'll begin with the genealogy. They'll go back to Adam. They'll go back to Abraham. Mark kind of just gets into the meat of things. Jesus was born, and boom, here he is. He's moving right away, and, you know, and stuff is happening. But, but John kind of dips back a little deeper into the history and the antiquity of Jesus Christ. And his, his gospel begins totally differently. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Matthew says, you know, Jesus you know, can trace his lineage back to Abraham, and Luke's like, Jesus kind of came from Adam, but, but John's like, understand, before time even existed, Jesus was there. The man that I'm writing you about here in this gospel existed before time. He created all things through the word of his mouth. And he himself took on flesh, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, so John is painting a picture for us of, of Jesus Christ. He is qualified in the first century. He spent time with Jesus, three years. He's, you know, he's lying on Jesus' chest there at the Last Supper. We're going to celebrate communion. I mean, John was right there. He saw the whole thing go down. He saw him die on the cross. He saw the empty tomb. John can tell us stuff about Jesus that no A&E, Biography Channel, Reader's Digest Special, Dan Brown, whoever else you want, they may speculate about Jesus, but John was there. So when we, when we open John's gospel and hear him speak and talk about Jesus, understand he knows what he's talking about. He saw Jesus in a way that no one else here ever has. But you, like me, may need to put aside the ideas that you had about Jesus that were given to you, even erroneously, and open up the scripture and, and look afresh at what does the Bible the first century witness, eyewitness, say about Jesus Christ. And he's, he records in this gospel seven I am statements. The I am statement is a statement that's kind of a loaded statement because in the Old Testament, when God appears to Moses at the burning bush, the kids studied this last week downstairs. You know, Moses is like, well, who am I supposed to tell my Israelite, you know, brothers and sisters, is sending us. And he says, I am. That's how God reveals himself personally to Moses. I am. And so when Jesus gets up and says, I am, he is making a significant statement. And John records it intentionally for you and me to understand and hopefully to move past our elementary pictures of Jesus and see the true Christ that the Gospel of John presents. He says at the end of the Gospel, he's like, look, by the way, if I was to record everything Jesus did, there would not be enough rooms in this world to host, host the books of all that Jesus did. But I, I've given you a comparative sampling and enough proof that, that you can see and you in turn can believe in Jesus Christ. That's his whole agenda here. John chapter 20 Verse 31, or sorry, verse, um, sorry, yeah, verse 30 and 31. It says, Jesus performed many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. 
But these are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I mean, there's all sorts of things I could write about, but I've just recorded this comparative sampling so that you might believe. Maybe you didn't come to church today expecting this kind of challenge, but this is not the challenge I gave you. This is the challenge that John gave you. That the first century eyewitness says, I saw Jesus, I've witnessed all these things, and I'm telling you, he is incomparable, and there is an aspect of life that he promises you that you presently don't have. And that brings us to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus, I mean, John has been recording several things about Jesus. Moving along. John chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding. His mama's like, Jesus, they're out of wine. Embarrassing, right? Think about it. Like, this is, this is the greatest shame. I'm Ukrainian, I understand that. If you run out of food, you have shamed yourself. And the host, the whole village will talk about it for, for decades. Remember the Nadalkos, they ran out of food? Ha, 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 you know? What a bunch of skin plants, you know? Like, and, and so understand, like, this was incredibly uh, embarrassing moment. And Mary's like, hey, I, I know. Let me ask Jesus. Maybe he can help you. He's like, you know, woman, what do you want me to, you know? And he's like, look, just see those waters, you know, those, those things at the, at the door? Just fill them up. And she's like, do whatever he tells you. So they fill them up. And they draw from this water they just poured into these huge, you know, clay bin, you know, uh, receptacles. And he draws it out, takes it to the, to the steward of, of, the, of the feast. And he's like, wow, this is good stuff. Like, usually we kind of bring out the cheap stuff at the end. And you've saved the best for the last. And Jesus turns water into wine. Everyone knows. They saw them pour just that water from the well into these containers. And out comes this incredible wine. Like, wow, who is this man? John chapter 4, a man comes to Jesus. He's like, could you, could you heal my son? And there's a bit of an interaction, but he's like, look, it's done. He's healed. The guy travels back to his house, and they, oh, guess what? Your son's okay. When was he okay? Well, at this time. And he's like, well, that's exactly when Jesus said to him that he'd be okay. In John chapter 5, he walks into Jerusalem, into this pool where there's all these sick people, and there's these kind of ideas that when the water would stir, whoever got in the water first would be healed. And, and, the, and Jesus shows up there, and he's like, hey, you want to get well? And this guy's like, man, I've been here forever. No one ever gets me in there. I'm, not, I'm stuck here. I'm never going to get healed. And he's like, oh, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. And they're like, what, what, what do you mean? What's going on here? And the Jews are like, hey, what's going on here? Who's carrying their mat on the Sabbath? And this guy's like, look, this guy told me to get up and take my mat and walk. You know, like, what am I doing? And, you know, it's amazing. Jesus is doing things that no one else can do. And then at the beginning of John chapter 6, he's teaching on the mountain. And people are getting hungry. And Jesus is like, look, why don't you guys get them something to eat? And they're like, you know, even if we had 200 pieces of silver, you know, like, like an absorbent amount of money, we could never feed this group, you know. And Jesus is like, hey, have them sit down. And, and Peter's like, oh, by the way, this is what we got. Five loaves and two fish. This little boy's lunch. Here it is. <laughs> this is going to, you know. And Jesus is like, hey, have everyone sit down. And he begins to distribute the food, you know. And somehow, as people pull bread and fish out of the basket, Bread and fish continue to remain in the basket. And at the end, everyone has eaten and is full, and he's like, okay, let's collect everything up. And so they pass the baskets out, and people are like, oh, yeah, I didn't finish this. Here's half a bun left. Here's, you know, here's some fish, you know, and, and 12 basketfuls full of bread and fish. One for every disciple. One for every disciple. 
And in verse 14, it says, when the people saw this miraculous sign that Jesus performed, they began to say to one another, this is certainly the prophet who is to come into the world. They had this idea this Messiah would come. This deliverer. They had political aspirations about it. And it was very temporal. Their understanding was, he's going to just relieve us of our temporary burdens and struggles and difficulties that we're in right now. That's all they could think about when it came to the Messiah. And Jesus, because he knew they were going to come and seize him by force to make him king, withdrew again up the mountainside alone. He withdrew up the mountainside alone. In the evening came, the disciples get into the boat, and they head across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. I've been to the Sea of Galilee. It's not even as big as Cold Lake at least across. You can see from one side to the other. But it, it is significant distance to travel around. Disciples are on the boat. It's getting kind of, you know, ooh, a little, little, little stormy out there. And all of a sudden they see this apparition doom, doom, walking towards them. Doom, 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 you know, and it's Jesus. Now other Gospels tell the story in, in more colorful light, but basically, you know, Jesus gets into the boat and all of a sudden, boom, the boat shows up at the shore. It's dead. And then the next morning, the crowd that's left where they just got ate food are, are sitting there and we're like, well, where's Jesus? Where's the disciples? The disciples got on the boat. Jesus didn't come down. What's going on? I guess they must be, he must have gone somehow, got over there, ran around or something. And so they, you know, these guys from Tiberias are smart. They're like, okay, there's this, you know, group of people that are going to want to follow Jesus. So let's, you know, rent out our boats. And, you know, they move all the people over to back to the other side of the lake. And there they are. And this is what happens in verse 25 of chapter 6. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? As if somehow Jesus is accountable to them. As if somehow Jesus owes them an explanation for his comings and goings. But you see, they're, they're thinking not with their heads, not even with their hearts, but simply with their stomach. They're thinking with their stomach. You'll see this. Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the loaves of bread you wanted. You kind of missed the point, you guys. You just want to eat. You just want to be fed. You just want kind of the welfare Jesus, right? That, that's what you're looking for. Easy money, that's what you want. But you missed the total point of that sign. The sign the signs in John's gospel point to the identity of Jesus. You missed the point. I had this dog. I, I tell stories about my dog because I don't get as much in trouble as when I tell them about my children. But I had this dog, <laughs> and uh, this dog's name was Rascal. We lived out in the camp at the time, Garden Lake Bible Camp. I got this little dog. This girl in my class, had, dog had puppies, so she gave me, you know, I got one of her pups, and, and I raised this thing, and, and I, I, I didn't train it very well. It was, he was kind of, you know, just dumb dog. You know, some of them are just like that. You know, they just not very smart. And he would bark. He would run away. He'd bark in the middle of the night. I remember waking up one night and, and hearing some noise. And I go and look out the window. There's my dad yelling at the dog with a rope. And I'm going to give this to you, you know. And he was, anyway, Rascal didn't like to, kind of, he didn't listen. He didn't, you know, but, but I learned a trick. He loved, like, you know, little, little niblets of food, right? So if I filled my pocket full of dog food, and I would wander around the bush. I love just kind of cruising through the cedar trees and checking things out, little spots, you know. And so as long as I had a pocket full of food, I, I could throw Rascal a bite and he would follow me, right? 
you know, that would last a good, you know, 100, 200 yards, and I could just throw him another one, and, you know, and, and as long as I, that food, the pocket held food, that dog stayed with me. But the moment that thing got empty, he kind of got tired. He's like, oh, okay, is that it? No more, you know? And, and pretty soon, Rascal would wander off, and, and that was the end of our little escapade. But I wonder, I wonder if we kind of follow Jesus, hoping that in his pocket, he's just kind of throwing us little milk biscuits every, every 10, 20, 30 steps. Okay, Jesus, I'm with you, as long as you keep tossing out the biscuits. But the moment those end, I'm, I'm done. As long as, you, as long as you keep giving me bread, Jesus, I'm good. Let, let's go. Yeah, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm with you. And we're, and we're just living on such of a surface level with Jesus. All they thought of was, wow, that was sure convenient. We sat all day, we listened to preaching, and at the end of the day, Jesus just prays and boom, there's bread sitting on her lap and fish. Hmm. Isn't that wonderful? I didn't have to work for it. I didn't have to save any money. I didn't have to do, you know, tend a garden. I didn't have to grind the flour. I didn't have to mix it with oil. I didn't have to sit by a hot oven and, and break that bread. I could just eat free bread from Jesus. He says, you, you're here because you ate all the bread you wanted. He says, do not work for the bread that disappears, but for the food that remains to eternal life, the food which the Son of Man will give to you, for the God the Father has put his seal of approval on him. Now here's the thing. The aspect of the feeding of the 5,000 was it was a sign which pointed to the identity and to the origin of Jesus Christ. Remember in the wilderness, God provided for the Israelites manna every day. And they'll, they'll reference it in, in a moment here, but they, they had this idea that when the Messiah came, that he would like, you know, kind of be like the welfare Messiah, that every day he would bring bread to people and, you know, you could just enjoy from the Messiah daily bread in that way, you know, and, and, and Jesus is like, there, there's a deeper understanding and meaning and significance of what's going on here. There's this food that remains to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And that, again, is, is, a, is a title full of, of meaning. The Son of Man was this messianic title of this deliverer that would come, that was promised but what Jesus brings to them is, is what they didn't really expect to get. And they're just looking at tomorrow. Free bread. And Jesus says, I've got so much more I want to give you. Sometimes people come to Jesus because they think he'll just remove their, their problem of today. Or even the problem of tomorrow. Okay, Jesus, I'm with you. As long as you take care of my, of my financial hardship. As long as you fix that relationship for me, Jesus. As long as you help me get the job that I want, Jesus. As long as I can buy that house, Jesus. I mean, I mean, we, we, we reduce it to such, such, you know, temporary and unsubstantial things. And Jesus is like, you guys are missing the whole point of this meal. I have the very seal of God's approval on you. Now, in the ancient days, he would often seal things, put your seal on it as a sign of ownership, a sign of authenticity. If, you, if you've ever traveled to, to Venice or studied about Venice, you'll know one of the things in Venice is they have this Venetian glass. It's very exotic, very special, and very expensive, right? So you go there, and it's like, oh, here's a, a teacup for $300 U.S. You're like, oh, thanks, you know, no thanks, you know. <laughs> I can drink a lot of lattes for that, you know, and 300 you know, but, 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 but on the bottom of the teacup, there is the symbol for the Venetian crystal. Now, you'll find a lot of fake 
crystals out there, but if you see the one with the special D, it's a special little symbol. This is legitimate stuff. Now, sometimes you'll find it in Canada because people don't know that this is the real thing. I, I saw it once at a, at a thrift store, and I'm like, well, look, Lisa, there it is, you know, and if you don't know what you're looking for, you, you could miss it, but, but, but a lot of times, you know, uh, there's this fake stuff that you find. It's not, you know, that you don't find that. It's not made in China. It's not, it's not made in mass production things. It's, it's very specially formed handmade. And Jesus is like, I am the unique genuine article from God. God's seal of approval is on me. I turn water into wine. I raise dead or sick children to life. I, I heal paralytics, and I can feed multitudes just simply by asking God, and it happens. I am the real deal. Now, here's the problem. Jesus speaks to people, and they don't hear. This is a problem in our society, too. You will talk to people, and they don't hear what you're saying. They, they look at you, they nod, but they ain't hearing a thing you're saying. They're, their head is somewhere else. Maybe you're married to someone like that. You know, yeah, yeah, I get it. You know? I mean, but, but understand, Jesus is speaking, and it's like, it's like Jesus is flying at 15,000 feet. They're flying at 5,000 feet. And like, they are not even seeing the same clouds and the same birds. I mean, you know, and, and, but Jesus keeps, keeps flying up there and, and trying to bring them up to his level. So they said to him, verse 28, what must we do to accomplish the deeds that God requires? And this is a question everyone has. This is the religious question. This is what drives the majority of our world. If what, give me the list that I can do to, to, to be successful in life. It's the do-gooder philosophy of life. And there are a lot of do-gooders in our own city, and, and the things they do are good, but, but if you're doing it to try to appease or, or earn something that you think you deserve, you're totally missing the point. And, and this is the question that these people ask. Okay, give, give me the list, Jesus. Can you, just, can you just put it in point form with a little box that I can just check off? What are the deeds that God requires? Maybe you grew up in this environment. You do this with your children when they're born. You do this when they're 12. You do this when you get married. You do this when you get buried. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. You do, I mean, and I don't know. You get up and you, and you, you read this type of Bible and you go to the church on this day and you wear this to church and, you know, and the list and the list and the list goes on. And, and Jesus is like, man, you are missing it. A key thing that happens here, and Jesus says, this is the deed God requires. They're talking about deeds or works. And Jesus says, this is the work, singular, plural, to singular. There's one thing. There's one thing, guys, that God requires as he speaks to them. To believe in the one whom he sent. So they said to him, then what miraculous sign will you perform so we may be, see it and believe you? What will you do? No, no. Can you believe it? I mean, he's already fed 5,000. He's already raised a paralytic. He's already healed an old man's son. He's already turned water into wine. I mean, and multiple other things that aren't recorded in the Gospel of John. He keeps doing all this stuff. Like, hey, what are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he says, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. It's like, come on, Jesus. Show me, show me, show me. And Jesus is like, don't you guys get it? And Jesus told him, verse 32, I tell you the solemn truth. And again, when Jesus said this, or maybe your translation says, truly, truly, I say unto you. I mean, Jesus is like, hey, listen, this is the point here. Don't miss it. It's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but my Father has given you the true bread from heaven. The true bread. Now he's saying, look, guys, 
pull that lever back in your plane and come up a little bit. Let's get your altimeter a little higher. Let's get above bread and wheat. Let's get to the real good that we want to talk about here. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Bread is that one thing that they could make year-round. I mean, there were seasons of fruit and vegetables and stuff, which, which provided sustenance. But, you know, you could take that wheat any time of the year and you could grind it into flour. And then you could add oil and whatever else you add. And then you could bake it and it turned into this and it sustained you. It was the one thing that was available all the time. A staple of life. They all knew it. And there's other countries you live, you go, you attend, you visit. I mean, this is kind of the way it still is in Russia. I mean, cheapest thing to buy is bread. Pennies, the loaf. And they have it at every table. Bread, bread, bread. Now, of course, in our sophisticated world, we see the evils of gluten, and we're, we're not sure about it, but, but understand in the ancient Near East, the bread, I mean, that was life. Doesn't matter. Winter, nothing's growing. You got bread. You got flour. You got grain. You got a mill. You can grind it, flour. You got bread. You can live. He says, the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, sir, give us this bread all the time. Again, Jesus is like, look, get up here. And they're like, no, no, let's stay down here. Let's stay down here. Let's stay down here. We want, we want the ATM Jesus. We want the welfare Jesus. We want the Jesus just going to look after our, our daily needs and, and, and our wants and satisfy our, our temporal appetites. And Jesus is like, you're not getting it. Get off the bread and look up. There's more to life than your physical needs and appetites. And here comes to the key verse, verse 35 at the bottom there. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry. The one who believes in me will never be thirsty. Of course, like, that can't be a physical statement. Because you'll eat this, and, and in two hours, you'll be hungry. And you'll drink that water bottle, but in, in four hours, you'll be thirsty again. I mean, and you're like, so what is he talking about? Of course, he's, he's talking at 15,000 feet altitude, and they're still, they're still flying at 5,000 feet. I am the bread of life. Jesus is all we need. And John's like, you know, he provides life at a level more significant than just your temporal, physical needs. We all have appetites, needs, desires that drive us. It could be a need for recognition, a need for approval, a need to, you know, a need for friendship, a need for relationship, a need for love. I, need, I mean, we have all these needs, a need for power, a need, you know, and, and, and they drive us, and they drive us, and they drive us, and Jesus is like, I want to, to sustain your life at a higher level, at the spiritual level, and it's at a relational level when you are related to me, when you come to me, when you believe in me, and he uses these, these terms interchangeably. Coming to Jesus is believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus is, is accepting Jesus, receiving Jesus. These are terms that John uses inter interchangeably, but believe is always kind of the central term. Believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. But sometimes you have to take what you thought before about Jesus and put it aside and receive the bread of life, Jesus. 
the one who truly satisfies. Over the years, and it hasn't happened a ton here, although it's happened on occasion, people come to the churches where I serve looking for help. Because they know good Christian people are there to help, because that's part of our DNA. We're, we're wired to help, we're commanded in the scriptures to help, and they show up and they, and they want help. Usually cash, but sometimes they'll take other things, and, and that's fine. And we should help, but, but there comes a point where, where I begin to ask questions about their spiritual life, where I would say, look, I, I'm happy to give you bread, but do you understand there is bread that you cannot eat that you need, your, your, your life needs, and that bread is Jesus Christ. Do you understand, like, I, I can look after your temporal, physical need, but, but you have a greater spiritual need, and that one is more important to me than this one. And they kind of would glass over their eyes. Some would nod in, in at least polite appreciation. But all they wanted was this, most of them. Most of us, that's all we want. But when it comes to the Gospel of John, and, and if we start thinking about our life, we realize that there is more to life than this. I remember my wife telling me about a guy that she had in her office in the early 2000s. She would never tell me her name, of course, but she would just give me some random facts about some of her clients as a counselor. And this guy was retired. He was living the dream. The dream. He'd achieved what everyone told him he needed, and he, that he thought he needed. He had paid off all his debt. He'd had sufficient resources to, to live until, you know, a, a ripe old age. He had set up his garage with all the woodworking tools that a guy could want to build birdhouses and feeders and planters and every other good thing that would sustain his soul in his retirement years. And, and he gets there, and he's about a month and a half in, and he's like, is this it? Another cedar birdhouse. Yay, you know. <laughs> another, you know another planter. Woohoo, You know, and he's like, and, and going to, you know, McDonald's for coffee. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with these things, but he said, I, you know, he thought that that would be it. He's still hungry. And until you have Jesus, you will always remain hungry. You will get all the toys you want, you'll still be hungry. You can switch out relationships, you'll still be hungry. You, you, you can have the, the retirement dream, you'll still be hungry. You can become powerful and, and famous, you'll still be hungry. Until you discover Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Take it from John, first century, eyewitness of Jesus, personal friend of Jesus, saw the death, saw the resurrection. He's like, look, the bread of life. Feast on Jesus. What does it mean to feast on Jesus? It means to believe in him, to receive him, to come to him. To believe on Jesus means that you cease believing on anything you've been holding on to. You know, the retirement dream, the financial dream, the relational dream, the famous dream, the, you know, popularity dream, whatever the, you know, silly thing you're pursuing to fulfill your appetites. He said, just set those things aside and embrace Jesus Christ, the bread of life. That's why we come to communion this morning. And at our church, we, we do this. We are not eating Jesus' body and blood here. That's not part of what we believe the scripture teaches. This is a symbolic act where we remember what Jesus Christ did for us when he died on the cross and rose again. A price was paid for our salvation. Jesus Christ paid that price. And we believe in him. The life that Jesus promises is himself. It's not some, you know, wealth. It's not some bank account. It's not some, you know, trinkets that, that he gives you. It's, it's him. So that's why people that live in mud huts across the world are as rich as we are because they have Jesus. 
can live in an igloo up in the north. You got Jesus, you're as rich as someone who lives in a million dollar mansion back and on to the lake over here at Budmiller Park. I mean, we're, we're all the same. When you have Jesus, you are as rich as everyone else because he is life. And so that's why we celebrate communion. We remember the bread of life this morning. Believing in Jesus Christ means I stop believing in whatever else I used to hold on to. I release whatever dreams and control that I had, and I, I believe that Jesus died for my sin. He rose again so that I could move up and out in new life in Jesus Christ. And every month we celebrate this to remember and to recalibrate and to refocus. Who is Jesus? Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He is life. And so if you believe in Jesus Christ, please partake with us. There is nothing special that, you know, I do this and I get this out of God. No, this is just a, an act of worship. If anything, this, this draws us closer to God relationally. As we remember, a price was paid for us to have the life that God gave us today. And that price was Jesus' own body and blood. It was his sacrificial death. That was the price. He is the bread of life. You know, to make bread, you've got to cut the grain off. You've got to beat it. You've got to mix it and you've got to bake it. Now, if you put that bun in the ground, nothing is going to grow. It's dead, right? <laughs> There's no life in this thing, right? You know, but G G Jesus essentially allowed his own life to be taken, but then he rose again. And you're like, wait a second. How does this, how does this work? Well, because that's the nature of the life that we have. It's this regenerative life. And it's a life that never ends. So even though our physical life is deteriorating, diminishing, we're all getting old, and weak, and losing capacity in many areas, spiritually we are not. Our spiritual life is the one thing that gets better as we get older, or should, anyway. It's the one thing that increases in quality as we get older, despite the fact that our physical life is diminishing. It's the one thing that we can count on and, and bank on right forever and ever. It's this relationship with Jesus. And the communion table reminds us of that. It just reminds us, no, I don't believe in the retirement dream and the body image dream and the health dream and the, this dream and that dream. I, 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 my dream is, my life is Jesus. And so this is the purpose of the communion table for us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have received him, you have come to him, you're welcome to participate. If you're here and you're like, yeah, I don't know, I'm still figuring this out, that's fine. You're still asking that question, who is Jesus? You're, you're going to stick around. You, you're going to hear a lot of great stories about Jesus from John. But today, church family and believers in Jesus Christ, let us remember Jesus Christ together. Team, would you come up and, lead, and prepare to lead us? And my, my, my board members that are here, would you please come forward? Uh, Stephen, Paul, Julio, and Marcel. And uh, we're going to distribute communion. We're going to pass out the bread and the cup together. Again, if you're believer in Jesus Christ, you know today your sins are forgiven through Christ's shed blood, through his body, his substitute for you. You can partake with us. If you're not sure, that's fine. Just pass out. There's no judgment. There's no, no concern. This is just kind of a family meal. But you that believe in Jesus, please partake with us. I also have a special tray here that is gluten-free. I know I joked about that earlier.